Let's take our Bibles as the children are dismissed to the children's church and turn to Mark, Mark chapter 3. Maybe, Philip, you could turn this fan above the pulpit up just a little bit. Mark chapter 3. And if you like titles uh, to the message, uh, we'll just uh, call this one, Is He Crazy? And, of course, the question here, uh, I don't know if you've ever had that question leveled at you or not, Uh uh, there was one time uh, we were talking about a project. This was many years ago. It was an old bus we were rebuilding, and the guy took one look at the bus and one look at me, and he says, "It's crazy all they call you." And I said, "No." Uh, and and uh, some of the things that we have uh, done over the years would certainly seem to be crazy. My father-in-law uh, said many years ago. He said, "There's only a fine line between faith and foolishness." And uh, sometimes it certainly seems to be fully serving the Lord. And that's nothing new because they accuse Jesus of the same thing here in our story in Mark chapter 3. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 3. And uh, we'll start verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him for they said... He is beside himself. Uh, Now, that's a very nice way. Uh, 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 I think one of the old jokes was Confucius say, man who's beside himself, make very interesting picture. Uh, And uh, just some of those silly little things that we say. But really, when you say someone is beside themselves, uh, what you're saying is they're crazy. Uh, They are not acting in a way... That is in keeping with what we would call uh, proper human behavior. And certainly, we live in a world full of crazy. Amen? Uh, it just about the time you think it's gotten as crazy, it's going to get somebody invents some new way uh, of being crazy. And uh, uh, some of this is justifiably questionable in, in behavior and all of these things, but when it comes down to the Christian uh, life, uh, I'm reminded of a story I've told, a true story, uh, many times, uh, several years ago, uh, a lady called me from a church that uh, we had been in on deputation, and she said, my brother is in New York City, and and, and I, uh, this was before cell phones and all of those things, she called, she walked him across Manhattan, one collect payphone call to Ohio at a time. Had a, over a hundred dollar phone bill because he had called her up and he said, I'm going to kill myself. And, and she would say, do you see the next phone bill, the phone booth? And he said, yeah, I, I can see. Him. She says, you walk there and call me again, collect. And it was just, and, and uh, the, the sister had very great compassion trying to help her brother and he walked himself over and admitted himself to the hospital and then she called me and asked me to go visit him. And so I uh, said, yes, I, I, I don't know your brother, uh, but I do know you and uh, 
I'd be happy to visit him. And, and so I took my Bible and went down. And, of course, the door was double locked and there was someone there. And this was the entrance to the, uh, uh, the unnamed uh, wing of the hospital, as they are in most places, the psychiatric ward. And I was admitted and I sat down and he came over to the table and sat down with me. And I said, uh, your sister sent me. He said, oh, you've got to be a preacher, don't you? I said, yeah. I said, your sister's quite concerned for your well-being. She said, yeah, that was quite a thing, wasn't it? I said, uh, most certainly was. Uh, I said, but I, I'm here to talk to you about the Bible today. These were his words. Looks me straight in the eyes. Says, you're crazy. I said, excuse me. He said, all that Bible stuff, he said, you people believe the Bible. He says, you're crazy. And I just looked at him and I said, excuse me. I said, you see that door right there? I said, it's locked. In a few minutes, I'm going to go over and knock on the door and they're going to let me out. But they won't let you out. And you want to call me crazy? I said, are you sure you don't? And he said, no, the Bible's crazy and you're all crazy. I said, no, I think you better need to get out a dictionary and look up the meaning of the word. Uh, I said, but if you don't want to talk about the Bible, I have nothing I can do to help you. You see, we, we live in a world where people throw terms around all the time like this. And if... Someone behaves in a way that we can't explain. Our first definition is crazy. And we're going to look through this story as what they were... These were Jesus' friends. Now you say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Well, Jesus grew up in the city of Nazareth as a normal man. Before he was 30 years old, when he was baptized, his life was so ordinary that no one could tell who he was. In fact, they would hold that against them and they would say, Hey, we know you, we know your family, we know your brothers and your sisters. Who in the world do you think you are to claim all of these special things about yourself? And of course, let's just go down through the passage here and we'll see what happens. Let's go back to verse 14, verse 14, chapter 3 of the book of Mark. And it says, And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And then it gives the name of the twelve apostles. And the last one, of course, is Judas Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus calls these twelve men, and he ordains them. Just like we did Andrew and Brother Franz a few weeks ago. He lays his hand on them. He gives them a a mark uh, of of his approval, and he said, these are chosen men to serve me. Now, I want you to understand that most people don't go through life with chosen people to serve them and preach what they preach and teach what they teach. And uh, Most of us go through life with our own family, period. Uh, When you see somebody walking down the road and he's or walking down the streets of our city, and he's got three or four guys in suits all around him. Uh, 
you're pretty much figuring out it's, it's a politician and he's got bodyguards to protect his life or it's some big important businessman or he's a gangster. Uh, I mean, there's got to be something going on here that this group of people would be following him everywhere he goes. Well, for someone to choose, I want you, I want you, I want you to follow me, that, that was taking a position of great importance in Jewish society. Jesus was letting it be known that he was not an ordinary man. He would have 12 men that would attend them. I, I, I would challenge you, other than soldiers and things like that, Pontius Pilate didn't have 12 guys that followed him around and uh, did everything that he did. It, it was, this was very unusual. And then it tells us that they entered into a house in verse 20, it says, and the multitude cometh together again. So, people are following Jesus everywhere he goes, and not just a couple. Uh, we're talking about tens of thousands of people crowding in and just blocking off the whole area. And when someone says, "What's oh, Jesus is here. Really? I'm going to join. That's what was going on. And... The crowd was so packed and so eager and so intent on Jesus and what he was doing that they weren't even taking time to eat. Now, I'll tell you, there are very, very few things that happen at Open Door Bible Baptist Church that we don't take time to eat. Uh, in fact, we like to eat a lot. That's a, a, we often joke that's the last Baptist distinctive is we like to have great meals. And uh, we want you to eat with us, but more importantly than that, we want you to be in heaven with us. We really do. Uh, but imagine something so pressing. Now, Jesus had grown up in Nazareth as an ordinary man. Nothing about his life before the baptism of John drew any special attention to him. Then all of a sudden, he's picking out 12 guys to follow him wherever he goes. And not only are they following him, they're doing miracles and they're preaching about Jesus and they're telling people that you need to listen to this guy and you need to believe on him, that he is the Messiah of the Jewish people. I mean, these are some uh, pretty fantastic things they were saying. And so these men that were Jesus' friends, people that he grew up with, the guy's gone mad. He's lost his sanity. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go down there and let's save him from himself. We're going to look what the words are. And they went out to lay hold on him. I mean, praise the Lord. I only think it happened one time in the whole history of our church. We had a crazy person in our service. And one of our men laid hold on him and moved him out of the building, which is the safest and best thing that could have possibly happened. And that's what they were going to do to Jesus. They were going to grab him, and they were going to sneak him out of the crowd. How are you going to sneak somebody like Jesus out of the crowd? But they were going to do this, and they were going to get him somewhere alone, and they were going to protect him from himself. Well, I mean, when you have a crazy person, sometimes you need to do that, do you not? Uh, they need to be protected because they would hurt themselves. And so that's what they thought of Jesus. That was their answer. 
Now look at verse 22 and we'll see the second one. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. Now, isn't that the way the world works? Jesus chooses these twelve disciples. They're following him. He enters into a house and his friends said, let's go get him, bring him home, lock him in a room until he feels better. The religious crowd, they can't deny the miracles that Jesus has done. He has cast out many devils. He has healed people. He even gave his disciples already the power to do these things. And therefore, he is of the devil. Well, actually, the exact opposite was true now, wasn't it? It was the scribes and the Pharisees that were of the devil. Jesus would tell them that in John chapter 8. Ye are of your father the devil, and his deeds you do. Because they were plotting his murder. You see, Jesus refutes this. Verse 23. And he, Jesus, called them unto him and said unto them in his parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Now, imagine this. You've got to get the whole picture here. We have this house, not a church building, a house just packed full of people inside, outside, upstairs, hanging off the roof, everywhere, all around. And this group of Jesus' friends is trying to push their way through the crowds to grab him and literally drag him out of there and hide him. And then... These religious leaders have come down from Jerusalem to check him out and they have their big fancy robes on and their big wide borders of blue and all of these uh, fantastic religious trimmings and they're whispering among themselves, it's got to be from the devil. It's not from us, so it's got to be from the devil. That's really what they were saying. And Jesus says, hey, you Pharisees, you scribes, come here. I want to talk to you for a minute. Could you imagine how weird that would have been for them? Hey, how's he know what we're thinking? Uh, excuse me. He already knows because he's God. Amen. And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself... And be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Now, the passage I've just read you is called the unpardonable sin. And uh, still to this day, I get at least one phone call, if not two or three every year. Uh, 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 can I speak to a pastor there? Speaking. Uh, 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 I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And uh, 
my answer always is, do you care about God at all? Well, yeah, I think I've done this thing and I'm cut off from God, but I want to... I said, listen, wait a minute. If, If you had committed this sin, you wouldn't care. There would be no understanding on your part that you had done anything wrong. You see, what these scribes and these Pharisees had done was they were saying the good works that Jesus had done were a result of the working of Satan. That the Holy Spirit in God was actually the spirit of the devil. Now, I want to challenge you, if you can make that mistake, if you can willfully and thoughtfully follow that line of reasoning and arrive at that position you have already passed the bounds of God's mercy and salvation. And if you were to take somebody and beat the truth over them until they had nobody left, they still would not accept the truth of the gospel. Because if you can believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is of the devil, then where are you? Now, let me throw this out. I've had this happen more than one occasion. I've had people come in and say, do you, do you believe in speaking in tongues? And I said, no, we don't. Well, don't you know that that's proof of, uh, of your salvation? And I said, no, it's not proof of my salvation. The Bible is proof of my salvation. Being obedient to the words of God is the only security that anyone can have. He said, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You said speaking in tongues is not from God. And they walk out. Believing that we do not teach the truth from the Bible. I tell you, that's terrifying when that happens because I know it's someone who is so wrapped up in their personal experience and their personal thoughts that they can't accept the truth that comes from the Bible. I tell you, we live in a world full of crazy people going around branding the only sane people that are alive crazy. Isn't that hilarious? It would be if it weren't so true. But those people that Jesus had grown up with, that's the only way I can find out that Jesus had friends. These were people that Jesus knew, people he was acquainted with growing up there in Nazareth. When he started doing all these miracles and all of these great things, they're looking at him and saying, this doesn't make any sense. What happened to him? He's not the same person that we used to know. Let's go get him and save him from himself and lock him in a room until he feels better. And that wasn't needful at all. Jesus was not insane. He was doing the will of his Father. Amen. Then we have the religious people. And of course, if you ever want something really screwed up, just invite some people who think they know the Bible. Uh, uh, Every so often, someone will come and, do you have Bible study? Yes, every Thursday night we have Bible study in our church and we do study the Bible. Oh, really? Can I share? No. Why not? I said, well, because I'm the teacher. So normally when you want to teach someone, you have a teacher teach those that we're willing to hear. And that is the pattern that we find in the Bible. Uh, someone, uh, I remember years ago I had a, 
uh, not an argument, but a, a friendly discussion, one of those things with another pastor. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? And uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek, it finally came out. Preaching is teaching with emphasis. Amen? Uh, because if you're not actually teaching something when you're preaching, you're just yelling at people. So that's a worthless endeavor. And if what you are teaching is so unexciting that you can't put a little bit of emotion in it, then what you're teaching must not be worth teaching anyway. And so really, Jesus was doing these things, and these religious people were saying, it's got to be of the devil. And you know what they were actually doing? Jesus said, you guys sealed your fate. If you can get there, you're already past me. And you're not coming back. So, just take courage. Don't allow the devil to trick you with this unpardonable sin thing. If you care at all about the gospel in Jesus Christ, you're safe. Don't worry about it. And, once you're saved, you cannot... Commit the unpardonable sin. Well, as we go on here, verse 31, some other people heard about this strange behavior of Jesus. Then came, there came then his brethren and his mother. And standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now, I am so amazed with the patience of Jesus. Here he is standing there with this multitude of people crowded in all around him. And he knows there's this group of his friends, acquaintances from Nazareth that are trying to kidnap him and take him out and lock him in a room somewhere where he can't hurt anybody. And he knows that these scribes and Pharisees are here whispering to each other and to everyone who will listen that Jesus' teachings are actually from the devil. And then somebody passes in by word of mouth saying, your mother's outside. She wants to see you and your brothers are out there. They want to they wanna help you. They know you're in trouble here, that uh, things aren't going quite right. You've had a bad day, so would you, would you mind just stepping out quietly and spending a little time with your mother? And yet Jesus didn't let any of this stuff get to him. I'll tell you what. That is the definition of sanity, is it not? Not allowing all of these crazy things going on around you to get you to stop doing what you are already doing. I'll tell you, that is the definite working definition of perfect sanity. Jesus had something to do. In our men's prayer breakfast this morning, we spent a little bit of time on do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And God sets the standards. God tells us what is right. And Jesus is not allowing himself to be deterred one little bit. Now look at his answer here. In verse 33, And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him. 
So here's Jesus teaching, and someone brings a message in and interrupts the teaching, saying, your mother and your brethren are out there, your family's out there waiting for you. Uh, They want to help you. They want to talk to you. They know you're having a very difficult time casting aspersion on Jesus' character and his behavior. And Jesus said, who is my mother and my brethren? And all of a sudden you hear this, oh man, he has flipped. He, He doesn't even know who his mother is anymore. And then he starts looking around at the crowd. And you know, even sometimes when I'm preaching, I, I like to look out and I'll make eye contact and I can tell that I made someone uncomfortable and I don't like doing that. But I think Jesus wanted people to be uncomfortable. I think he was looking at them in a very piercing way and they're going, oh man, it's true, it really has happened. And then he answers the question. He says, behold... My mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Wow. What a statement. See, certain religions put a great deal of emphasis on actually the worship of Mary because she is, quote-unquote, the mother of God. I want you to understand that phrase is not found anywhere in the Bible. That phrase is found in ancient pagan uh, uh, worship and and religion. But God has no mother. He has no beginning. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. He was translated from the throne room of God into the human race. Uh, that's the best I can do. And he lived here this life, and now he is at the very beginning of his ministry, and everybody says, this guy's gone nuts, he's crazy, he's lost his mind. And so the answer of his friends is, let's help him out and lock him in a room where he can't hurt himself or anybody else. The religious leaders, he's from the devil. And his own mother and brethren are standing out there saying, can't we do something to help you? Can't we get you out of here and stop this crazy behavior? Well, that was the whole reason Jesus came. And he made a statement here. He said, whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. You know, this morning I'd like to spend the main part of our time on, on that phrase. How, how do we become part of that family? And I do want you to understand that that onus, that uh, 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 question of Jesus' character is often passed down to people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the world thinks we're crazy for gathering three times a week in a church service. The world thinks we're crazy that we wouldn't just do the same things that they do. And the world says, man, you're crazy. You you can't drink alcohol and be a member of that church. That's exactly right. You can't. If you do, 
uh, and we find out about it, we're not going to let you be a member of the church anymore because you cannot name the name of Jesus and drink the devil's brew, as they say. It's attached to too much filth. The biggest problem isn't the alcohol. The biggest problem is what people do under the influence of it. You see... We're not supposed to live like the world when we follow Jesus. Can we say amen to that? And I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by grace, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You see... In verse 11, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call those that believe on him brethren. Jesus said in his teaching there, as these uh, three different groups were questioning his very sanity and trying to convince the crowd at large that Jesus had lost his mind and was not worthy to be followed or listened to, he said, Whosoever will do the will of God, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now, you know what? That that phrase applies to you and I today. This is what the writer of Hebrews, more than likely uh, several decades after the writing of the book of Mark, is affirming and actually explaining and expounding. One of the things that I, I like to do with, with the Bible in our preaching time and as we study it, 
is show where one passage in the Bible explains or actually gives commentary on another teaching of the Bible. Jesus here says he is not ashamed to call us brethren because Jesus is God and he came in the flesh to sanctify us and it is the power of God that cleanses us from our sin. It is the power of God that Jesus died on the cross and rose it again And and so, he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. That is an amazing thought to me. Because I know a little bit about my life. And I know I've failed my Savior on many occasions, as every one of us in this room has. And he's still not ashamed to call me his brother. And then he goes through this little progression here. And saying in verse 12, it starts, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Well, you knew I had to get to that phrase. In the midst of the church, amen? Now, if I have any hobby horses I I spend a lot of time on, it's the Bible and it's the church. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we ought to be in church. If we're going to serve Jesus Christ in this age, in this time in which we live, we are going to do so through, under, at the direction of, under the authority of the local independent Baptist church. I carry a a miniature copy of my ordination paper in my uh, 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 pocket. I got it made up on a little card there and laminated it. And if I go to a hospital, oftentimes I'll say clergy visit and Do you have any ID? And I pull it out. It's an official ID. I made it. Amen? And uh, I I don't make any bones about that. I said my ordination's on the back. There's my picture ten years ago. Uh, Haven't aged a day. No. Um, And uh, I think I've gotten that card out two or three times. But on my ordination paper, it says this. If... Mr. Montoro ever decides to change the doctrines he has affirmed this day, he will gladly surrender this document. Uh, I'll tell you, I hold that dear. I made a promise to those men that ordained me at the Cleveland Baptist Church in 1989 that I would stay true to a doctrinal statement that I agreed to then. I'll tell you this. All these years later, I think I am much more strong on my stand and belief in those doctrines than I was those years ago. I have not been moved by all of the things of our age. Don't need to be. Because you know something? I want to do the will of God. I want to be part of that family. I want to be a brother that my big brother is not ashamed to identify with. And the Bible does talk about those who will come through the judgment having even their garments spotted by the flesh or saved so as by fire. I don't know about you, but those verses motivate me. I don't want to be part of that group. How about you? And this verse says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. That's why we sang that song this morning. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name. 
hey, what are we, we're declaring his name. Wonderful grace of Jesus. I mean, what are we talking about as we sing those songs, following in the footsteps of Jesus and many of the hymns. Listen, it's I will declare thy name. I will sing praise unto thee. And then he says in verse 13, he says, and again, he says, on top of that, I put my trust in Jesus. And on top of that, I want you to see the other people that have put their trust in Jesus. You see, the goal of what Jesus said is to develop a family of believers and followers of Jesus Christ in the local church. That's why church membership is important. Baptism is important. We, we do not, baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. If you're here today and you're saying, well, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized, please, please, I, I would challenge you, don't leave without talking to at least one of us so we can open up the Bible and show you that baptism is nothing more than a public statement of your heartfelt and heart uh, one faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is important, but it's not salvation. You know, uh, the Wesley brothers, I, I met a guy on the street yesterday. And he says, well, I'm a Methodist and I believe in the Methodist church. And the Wesley brothers were used of God. And, and, and uh, uh, it wouldn't even give me a moment to speak. But the whole purpose, read their own writings. God has called us to bring the message of salvation to the church of Jesus Christ. Ooh, wait a minute. If Jesus' church doesn't have his salvation, it's not Jesus' church. I'm sorry. You can't get there. You cannot get there. And, of course, they were speaking of the Anglican or the Church of England. And by the time the Wesleys came along in the 1700s, there was no salvation preached in the Church of England. Uh, very few exceptions. And so they saw this. And by the way, the Wesley brothers were led to the Lord by the Moravian brethren who were just a generation or two removed from the Anabaptists of the Middle Ages. They were Baptist peoples. So as we move through our text here, it says that Jesus became one of us so that he could save us from our sins. So that he could endure death and destroy him that hath the power over death. Read in the book of Revelation, it says, Death is the last enemy that shall be destroyed. Death is our enemy. Death has never been our friend. We as believers in Jesus Christ do not embrace death. We embrace life in every aspect. Because only God has the power over life and death. And if you want to know the reason we have so many people out there shooting other people, it's because they believe they are gods. That's the ultimate answer to the question. 
no one who believes this Bible can take that title to themselves. Because according to the Bible, you then would be crazy, not Jesus. Amen? But I want to ask you a question. How many of us have had a difficult time following Jesus this week? Hello? Any honest person? I see one hand going up. A few pastoral hands. Okay. Uh, I want to challenge you. If you can't be honest in church, where will you be honest? Please. I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I remember being in a church service years ago. The preacher would say, How many of you need a closer relationship with Jesus? And of course, yeah, yeah, I want to be... And two minutes later, if you raised your hand, come down here and get on your knees. And I'm sitting there going, I think I just got tricked. Now, I'm I'm never going to do that to you. That's not my goal. But I'll tell you this, if we're honest, we had a tough time following Jesus this week. And if you didn't, that's just because you weren't paying enough attention to even know what was going on. And that's really scary. Walking that narrow road does not happen by accident, only on purpose. And the entire purpose of the church is to give you comfort and aid and encouragement. And at times, read Hebrews chapter uh, 10, uh, provocation unto love and to good works. Uh, to give you, to take away every excuse and give you every reason to join together with those who are actually brothers, sisters, mothers, part of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whom he is not ashamed to call his brethren. It says here in this passage that he is our high priest and he is merciful and faithful In verse 17, in things pertaining to God, to make a reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now that word succor is an interesting word. What it means is protect, deliver. If you'll read in the book of uh, uh, Kings, David went out and one of Goliath's brothers thought to slay him. And and, uh, I think it was David's uh, nephew or cousin, one of the other family members, jumped in there and succored David. What did he do? He killed the guy who was trying to kill David. David was old and he had waxed feeble in battle and he he just could not, uh, did not have the physical stamina to follow through. And he got protected. Do you know what? That, that describes you and me. We, we do not have what it takes to fight the world and the devil and all of these things. But Jesus does. And our goal is not to make ourselves so smart and so strong and so able to wield the sword of the Spirit that we can go out there and slash at the enemies of the cross. That's foolishness. You know what my job is to do? Hide behind Jesus. That's where he wants me. That's what the word sucre means. Do you think the devil could bother you hiding behind Jesus? 
No, but if you step out in front, guess what? You just painted a target on yourself. You are gone. You, you're going to fall. There is no way you can stand on your own. We encourage one another. We try to strengthen one another. We want to sing his praises in the church, in the midst of the church. Verse 15 says, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It never amazes me the stories that are in our news today and the stories that people make up and all of these things about, well, I had to do it. He was going to kill me. I want you to read the history books. Would you read the history books about... Uh, if you want a challenge, there, there are several books out there on men who have served in the United States military who are recipients of the Medal of Honor. Many of them received that medal posthumously. You know why? Because they weren't afraid of death. I mean, honestly, in their heart, there might, but they weren't thinking about death when they did what they did. Why? Because they knew if they stopped to think about death, there's going to be a whole lot more people that were going to die. I mean, Audie Murphy was no Christian man under any pretense of believing in God. But he stood alone on a burning tank destroyer full of ammunition about ready to explode and stopped a whole battalion of advancing Germans all by himself. It's an amazing story to me. He did it. He really did. It was documented. Because he wasn't going to let those men break through and kill all of the people that were behind him. And he suffered a wound. He already had an appointment to the military academy. He would have become an officer. He would have gotten everything that he ever could have wished for life. But he was wounded, shot in the hip that day. Discharged from the army. Died a few years later as a movie actor. But he did that without knowing Jesus Christ was his big brother who was protecting him and keeping him. And yet we have people who live in fear of death every day. I uh, just, just can't do that. I'm going to... I had an article. If you sit at your desk, you're going to die. Okay, well, stand up at your desk then. Come on. Uh, give me a break. Stop being afraid of death. And start being afraid of shaming your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we do that? See, Jesus wasn't crazy. He didn't need protecting. He certainly was not of the devil. And anyone who could say that is already passed. So we don't even bother with them. 
But there were a lot of people there that day that could be added as members of the family of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is God's will. You know what? It's God's will that you get saved. Do you have a day, a time when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you followed what the Bible said? Well then, and if you say, well, Pastor, I really don't know what you mean by that. Well, we're going to have an invitation in a few minutes. No hooks, no, no, nobody's walking down the aisles and grabbing people or anything. But if you're interested in that, all you've got to do is walk down the aisle, look this way, and we'll have someone take the Bible and answer those questions and show you how you can know that you have been born again the way the Bible says it's done. It's that simple. You're never going to find it unless somebody shows you. And that's what our church, one of the main reasons our church exists. If you're saved, I want to challenge you. The next step, read your Bible. They that believed on him were baptized, and the same day were added unto them. That, just doing God's will. If you get saved, then you ought to be baptized. You ought to join the church. Why? Because this is where the family meets. This is where the relationships are born. This is where we get strength to struggle together for Christ. You know, there's a lifetime of living. And you can't learn it all in one day. I met a guy who said, well, I read the Bible through once. I got everything in it. I'm going, Wow. I think I've read through the Bible at least 50 times and some passages hundreds and hundreds of times. I couldn't even count. I said, and I'm still learning something and studying something every time. What happened to you? He got mad at me. Well, you see, the world uses that term crazy awful loosely, don't they? I'll tell you this. I'm not crazy. And if this is crazy, give me some more of it. Because every good thing in my life is because I was obedient to Jesus Christ. And every bad thing in my life I can trace to disobedience to His will. How many would agree with me on that? And so, could we not just this morning, in the next few moments here, take an inventory? Am I saved? If you are, then the next question is, am I baptized the Bible way? Am I a member of a church? Not. You can get that thing solved. We'd be more than happy to take care of that problem. Say, well, I'm saved. Okay, are you struggling? You know, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do I get that joy? When I stop fussing with my brothers and sisters and start putting my eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Montoro household is really crazy sometimes. Especially when we get everybody together. Which doesn't happen very much anymore. Lord willing, this Christmas we're going to have everybody here except maybe Peter and his family. And it's going to be nuts. And you know what? I'm going to love every minute of it. Just about. And uh, 
all the little diapers and things like that. You know, the best thing about being grandpa is somebody else has to do that. When I was daddy, I had to do that. But uh, listen, it's not that everything is perfect in our family. But I'll tell you, when we get together at Christmas or some special occasion, you know what everybody's thinking about? Food. And our attention is so controlled on that. It's, can I help you make the bread? Can I do this? And any arguments come up because somebody else is doing your job and I want to do that. Mommy said I could whip the cream. And, and you know, I thought about this in the church. If we could get so wrapped up in Jesus that we stopped worrying about each other. We could do some things that would be deemed absolutely insane by the world in which we live. In fact, our church has done some pretty crazy things. Like give over $100,000 to missions for the last years. Over a million dollars. That's pretty cool. Absolutely insane. You know, most charities in New York don't do what our church does. And by the way, that doesn't count what it takes to maintain the building and pay the salaries and keep the lights and the insurance. That's all part of our organization here and helping other churches. I tell you, it's pretty crazy what the Lord will do with some crazy people who will just be the right kind of crazy. Amen? Are you following me on that? You see, they called him crazy. They said he is beside himself. That's okay. If the world calls you crazy, you just might be sane. You know, I thought about that as I was sitting there looking into the eyes of this man who had been walked across Manhattan one payphone booth at a time trying to keep from killing himself. That's what he said. And he's calling me crazy. He just, out and out, you're, you're insane. You, you're crazy. You don't have any sense at all. And I'm sitting here going, yeah. That's a compliment. <laughs> I'll take that. Because... If you think I'm crazy, then maybe I'm this type of crazy. And you know what? That's good. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I'll do that. I'll suffer reproach with my elder brother. That's not a problem. Because he's done so much for me. And all God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father,